Communications disruption can mean only one thing. This is Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome everyone to episode 67 of Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Peter Viox, and please allow me to introduce my co-host... Mr. Rick Villanueva. Well, hello, everybody. Hello, Pete. It is a great day. Happy Star Wars Day, my friend. I've been waiting to hear that firsthand in my ears for 66 <laughs> episodes. So happy Star Wars Day to you too, my friend. So how you been this week? Uh, good, busy, you know, a lot of uh, dealing with the world and work and all of that fun stuff. Yeah, not 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 bad at all. Yeah, we've got a lot of rain going on down here. Like we pulled up the uh, Star Wars app you know how it tells you it feels like this planet or it feels like that planet that actually got it right today and it said it feels like camino like are you getting rain up there not today we had a weird like 10 minute storm yesterday where it came down hard and then it stopped and then the sun was out like nothing ever happened it was weird a very kind of schizophrenic day for for a little bit yeah it's just been nonstop rain all day man but yeah i tell you what i am so ready for this star wars day i've been looking forward to it all week have you been into any uh star wars stuff in particular this week like uh get any new collectibles or getting anything cool uh the last physical anything i got star wars was the black series shadow trooper from uh, the force unleashed that was i think it was a GameStop exclusive uh that came in it's really cool looking it's great i I'm pretty sure there's some available still. I know it was a pre-order that I put in a few months ago, so it was a surprise when it came in. So I got that. And uh, the only other thing I've been doing Star Wars-wise this week is uh, getting back into playing Fallen Order. Um, You know, I started kind of late. I started uh, beginning of April, maybe, and end of March. And um, I I don't, percentage-wise, I don't know where I'm at in the game. I'm on Kashyyyk, and I just saw the ninth sister. I think it's the ninth sister, the really big Inquisitor uh, for yeah. the first time. So that's where I'm at story-wise. I actually know where I'm at story-wise. I just learned the double jump. So that's where I'm at. If anybody that's played the game, they know exactly where that is in, uh, within the story. So I'm enjoying it. The story is really cool. It's really fun to play a Star Wars game like that. Like Battlefront was cool. Ba- uh, Battlefront 2. Uh, like I really love the campaign. I don't really get into the online gaming stuff, um, which we'll get into some of that a little bit later. So, uh, but, you know, I dip my toe a little bit in that. But yeah, Fallen Order has been my focus as far as Star Wars has been this week. And uh, hoping to get more into that this coming week because the game's going to get a lot harder and I'm a little, 
apprehensive. I'm one of those gamers in the eighties. I was like, would, you know, you, I mean, people of a certain age and really anybody, like you, you play a game to get to a point where it's super frustrating. You're doing it over and over and over again. And you just, you get angry and you start throwing things and you're swearing and stuff. I don't want to get to that point. Like, I, I don't want to have to change the other uh, difficult setting on the game, but, but fingers crossed. We'll see how it goes. I hope the force is on my side. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that you're going to have too much trouble with it. It's a game that as it increases in difficulty, you gain more skills that help you deal with those situations. So it was a pretty good game as far as I was concerned. Um, I thought that the the things that it added story-wise were pretty fascinating. And it's a very dense game as far as like, um, I don't know what you would call it. Like there's an encyclopedia in the game of stuff. Like you Mm -hmm. encounter this plant and there's a connection to this animal and stuff. And it's how Star Wars, just that big web of Star Wars knowledge. And it just kind of adds to that stuff almost to the point that I've pretty much forgotten. There was so much that I've forgotten it. So I'm looking forward to kind of replaying that game, but it's been a while since I said, uh, since I set it down, I actually didn't know that you were uh, much into the games. Actually, that's something that we've never talked about. Yeah, no, my, my video gaming is, is pretty light, uh, generally speaking. And that's more than anything else. It's because of time. I don't, I just don't have time to play like I used to years and years ago. Um, you know, there's games that I have uploaded on the uh, on the PS4, like um, oh, what's the other one? Like uh, oh, the remastered Shadow of the Colossus uh, that came out uh, a couple of years ago. I love those games. That and uh, yeah, I, f- I forget what the um, the game that came up before that from Ned Studio uh, was it Ico or Eco? I- Eco, yeah, um, yeah. Those games. I loved those games. I remember playing them on the PS2. They were great. And then, you know, I got the remaster Shadow of the Colossus um, and then just didn't finish it because it was a time thing. And then yeah. when, um, oh, what's the Horizon Zero Dawn came out, um, I bought a copy for Cheryl because uh, she had seen a, a trailer for it and she wanted to try it out. She got into it. I gave her like a month's head start and then I jumped into it and then I passed her right away. And again, haven't finished it. And then they announced a sequel uh, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, with the big um, the PS5 event. So I'm looking forward to get into uh, whatever that is. But I still got to finish the first one. And again, it's just time. So Yeah, yeah. As far as like me and Eden go, like this is a big gaming household too. Like we, we've always got something going on, whether it's the PS4 or the Switch. And down here in the basement, actually, I've, I've held on to every system I've ever had. Um, so you've got Nintendo next to Super Nintendo, next to Nintendo 64, next to GameCube, and so on and so on and so on. So man, if we ever get together, we need to have an old Star Wars game or you like just marathon because I've got some good stuff. Like you remember those Super Star Wars games from Super Nintendo? Oh yeah, absolutely. So frustrating. I've only ever been able to beat Empire Strikes Back, and that was yeah, that was a nightmare. Same here. Same here. Now is is the NES the first game system that you that you had? It was the first game system that I had. Um, my brother is the is the same age as you, so he was Atari, if I remember correctly. And okay. uh, yeah, and I was I was NES kid. Yeah, the the first system that we had uh, for for the old cats out there was uh, was the Intellivision. And uh, if you don't know, kids, uh, hop on your Google machines, the Wayback Machine, <laughs> and you'll see what that thing was like. Is it had some very unique uh, controllers? It was a pad that had. Um, it had a like a number pad, like a keypad in it, and uh, like a like a dial, like a rotary dial, I think, kind of a th- not like a telephone rotary dial, but it had like a little disc that spun, I think, is what it was. And for every game you got, you slid a little card in a slot of the 
the controller. And there would be like pictures on there that corresponded to the numbers underneath it. And that's how you controlled it. It wasn't just a, like a D pad with an A and a B. There was this number pad. That, it was a really goofy setup. And the cord was like a telephone cord that was coiled. Um, so you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't pull them too far. You had to sit basically with your nose pressed to the TV screen. Like I remember playing Dig Dug and Burger Time um, on the old Intellivision and Pitfall. I remember playing Pitfall too. Dig Dug, familiar with that Dig, one for sure. Dig, Dig Dug is my jam. And for, listen, anybody listening, wherever you are, if you make your way to the greater Chicagoland area, the best arcade on the face of the earth is right down the street from me. It's called Galloping Ghost. Look it up. It's got every game cabinet ever made. They hold, I don't know how many world record scores in this one location. You walk, go to the door, you pay like 15 bucks. You play for free all day. There's no coins uh, slots on any of the cabinets. So you just go up, press the button and play and you're off to the races. If, if, if you've played it, they have it. And if, and if it's not out on the floor, they're repairing it so that it'll be out the next time. And they just opened up a, uh, a pinball room last summer, I think too, which we have, we're yet to check out, but like, that's the place to be for some old school cabinet gaming. That's awesome, man. And I know all about that stuff too. I've actually got a couple of arcade machines myself, but my brother, he got me like he, the one who got, I always say, got me into star Wars too, got me into all the cool shit, man. But uh, he, his comic book store, Comics to Games, up in Florence, Kentucky, he's got, I, I want to say, more than 20 pinball machines in the pinball room. And it's, it's it, instead of it being free to play, you know, you got you get that that jangle in your pocket going. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, just like, mm-hmm. there, you try harder on a game, I've found, than if you just have the free to play and you, you're actually putting money into the, the thing. Like, um, when I was in Japan, man, arcades are still a big thing over there. And I felt like I really had to bring my A game when I put in a hundred yen coin in there because, you know, I, I want to get my money's worth in this. I'm paying actual money for this. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Arcades are a thing of the past anymore, especially here in Kentucky. So yeah, that's not galloping ghost. You said galloping ghost. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Well, let's see as far as my week in star Wars, man, as far as collectibles, I ordered a lightsaber from Ultra Sabers about a month ago, and it finally showed up, man. It's my first lightsaber, and I have been just running around the yard like a lunatic, spinning it around, <laughs> uh, doing the full zoom, zoom, zoom sounds with it. I didn't get I didn't get a soundboard with it, but I'm sure my neighbors think I'm absolutely insane. They might have thought that beforehand. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt about that. I mean, we yeah. Anyways, we'll leave that by itself. Um, Eden went out of town last week for work and uh when she came back she actually had a, a surprise for me it was the uh basana speeder chase lego set oh very nice yeah yeah pretty excited about that i actually only just got to open it up today and i built the first bag and it was um it was that vehicle in rise of skywalker that had like the tracks like a like a tractor mm-hmm. yeah that bike and it's pretty it's like cool a, man. it's like a is it like a tread speeder or something like that? Yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what I'm talking about. So they had one of those at uh, at celebration last year by the Star Wars show stage. A Lego set? It was no, no, no. The, oh, the actual the, one. The life size one, yeah. Oh wow. I don't know how I missed that. I mean, but I it was know, so man. so huge. Like I, I saw the Mandalorian prep props. Like Yeah, that, that was cool. the um yeah, that was that like speed that swoop bike, speeder bike. Yeah. That like basically directly face the stage. And then as you're, if you were facing the star Wars show stage to the left, there was, I think it was the, the tread speeder was over there. 
Right on, man. Yeah, I, I'm. You know what? I may have seen it. <laughs> Just for it's crazy how much you forget when you go to celebration. Well, it was a whirlwind of a weekend anyway. So, um, I was trying to get as far as far as this week. I've also been trying to get geared up for like all the new books that are coming out. So I re-listened to Queen Shadow in preparation for Queen's Peril, and that the second time around was just as good as the first time that I, I had read it. Um, E.K. Johnston, I just really like the way that she writes. I've actually found that I tend to like the Star Wars YA books a lot more than I like the regular novels, and I don't know why that is, and it may just kind of come down to a time thing like you were talking about with video games. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't... It's it's hard for me, like especially since I bought a house. I, I'm doing you know yard work and, and home repairs and stuff on top of hours away from home in another city coming back. Like it's hard for me to just kind of sit down and wind down with a book anymore. And I don't know why that is. So with my commute, I tend to just listen to the books uh, on audible or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of knock things out that way. There's a big difference between a six to eight hour book and a 14 hour book. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I don't know. I just tend to, Unless it's really good, man, sometimes I've been losing interest and it's unfortunate, but it, it, as I'm getting older, it's hard for me to keep focused on things and, and I don't know what's going on with that. But I know we're going to be talking more about books and everything today because we got a lot of news that involved books um, and video games too, oddly enough. And and um, But before we get into all that stuff, you know, we got us some... Goblin Chatter! <laughs> Now, do you have anything today? I do. And um, as the new co-host of Jam Transmissions, I, you know, put out the call, you know, over the last week or so, just saying like, hey, this is a thing that I'm doing. And instead of getting an email about, uh, you know, with a question, I got a text message from a very good friend of mine that I've known for, well, the better part of 35 years. Uh, My friend Scott sent me a text question uh, or a question over text saying, why did Luke Skywalker wear black in Return of the Jedi? Was he going to turn dark? And uh, we've had some time to ponder this. And there's a couple of reasons why I think Luke is wearing black, but I'll let you go first. Do you have any any thoughts on, on why Luke is wearing black in the beginning or throughout Return of the Jedi? I've always kind of attributed it to the fact that he is probably touching the dark side, you know, he's, he's not, he's more like self-taught than anything in the ways of the Jedi. So I feel like he's kind of doing everything kind of wrong. <laughs> like all the, now it, it depends on whether you think the, the ways of the Jedi are right or wrong. Like, cause they obviously did things wrong enough to be completely decimated. But mm-hmm. I feel like the reason he's wearing black is because he is touching that dark side a little bit. And, and return of the Jedi really is very heavy about Luke's, inner like trying to struggle with that balance of being what he naturally wants to be. He leans more towards the light side. He believes in the light. He has hope in, in, in people that don't, that nobody has hope in hope in or hope in themselves. But you know, you see him and you see him in that inner turmoil uh, where he wants to go ahead and unleash his anger. And he kind of comes really close to it a couple times throughout the saga and, and touches it. He does touch it. But unfortunately, I think the reason why he was wearing black, I think it has more to do with kind of like how the like the actual reason why there was a green lightsaber 
against a blue background kind of thing. I feel right, like it right. has has less to do with the story than it does with the practicality. And what, what do you think? I think there's a little bit of both there. I think, well, first of all, it's weird to look at a movie like Return of the Jedi from the lens through which it was created. And here we are 37 years later, and we have stories that are starting to fill in the gaps. So this is a this is a question that we may get an actual answer to over the next couple of years as uh, Charles Soule is writing the um, the Star Wars mainline comic book, which is taking place between Empire and Return of the Jedi right now. So that, this is an answer we could get within the canon of the story. But I think at the time when it was made, I think George Lucas was conscious enough about the symbolic nature of the story and the archetypes that he was creating within it. So I think looking at where Luke left off in the empire strikes back, um, disregarding any stories that may have come out in between, if we're just looking at just the movies and nothing else, he was at a pretty low place and it seems like it would have been pretty easy for him to slip and channel his anger, find that dark side a little bit. But I also think that the symbolic nature of him wearing black is to show that he is a different person than he was in the first two movies. I think that might be almost more of a stylistic choice as opposed to a story choice um, to show outwardly that he's different. And as we watch the movie, as it goes on, it's only at the end um, and when he's fighting Vader. I don't know exactly what point it happens. I, I've never paid attention to this one detail, but at some point the top that he's wearing, the shirt or whatever he's wearing, it flips open. And then there's just this one triangle of gray or a lighter color, whatever it is. Um, and I know it's open when he throws the lightsaber, but I don't know at what point it opens. I think it's open when he throws the lightsaber. Um, but it's to show that within all of that darkness that he's channeled or bottled up or whatever the case is, that light is still there. He's that little beacon of light is there. And that, it's almost like that was enough for Vader, Anakin to see that Luke is that symbolic beacon of hope and light that was calling him back. So there's, there's a very almost literal symbolic thing um, to him exposing that little bit of light in, at that point in the story. And I think it stays open like that through the end of the movie. When they go back to Endor, I think it's still open. Um, it's been a little while since I watched Return of the Jedi. So I think him wearing black in the beginning of the movie is to show that he's we're supposed to recognize that Luke is at a very low point from where he was at, at the last movie, at the end of the last movie in Empire Strikes Back. And like I said, and we see this emergence of light at the end of Return of the Jedi. So I think that's probably why he was wearing black. Now, what did he ever have the call to really dive into that dark side? Um, I know in one of the comic books, I think it was one of the Age of Republic books, I think it was the Luke at Age of Republic book. He actually gets, quote unquote, touched by Palpatine. He's tempted by Palpatine across the galaxy. And Palpatine like gives him this vision. I forget. I don't remember the specifics of it. Um, but he is trying to goad him into this dark side place. And Luke does not fully succumb. So he's touched the dark side. He's already felt its presence, um, at least in the new canon. Uh, at, at this point. So it's an interesting question to think, because like I said, in the next you know year or two, we may get 
a a, uh, a definitive answer on why he's wearing black. Yeah, that's all really interesting. And yes, that is a really good question too. Thank you for that. Um, but yeah, especially like the symbolic nature of his transformation from what he was before really kind of stood out to me when you said that as well. And, you know, I've always seen that little flap come up, but I've never really given it much thought. Now, the fact that you said it was a little bit great, it's lighter than the dark or l- lighter than the black showing mm-hmm. that little bit of light that he still has and it's in Darth Vader sees that that's actually really fascinating. And, and like, that's the sort of stuff that whether it's uh, like a, a, we have a definitive answer or not, that's some excellent like headcanon right there because it makes sense like through all of it. So that's really cool, man. You kind of opened my eyes to, to something I had never really thought about. And now next time I go watch return of the Jedi, I want to kind of see if it opens up in a very specific time, uh, during the movie or if it just kind of comes dislodged in it, like through the, the movements of battle and stuff like that, more and more little details to kind of just really set your teeth into with star Wars. It, it's crazy for a movie that came out 37 years ago. We're still wondering about new things, finding new things to talk about with it. That's it's really incredible when you think about it. it is, it is to think that if it was something that was done purposely, I don't even want to credit Richard Marquand, but I mean, for George Lucas to have, had this idea that, you know, what, like I said, you know, maybe it was just a one for one and he was like, well, we have to show uh, the light coming out of, uh, you know what I mean? And so they <laughs> open the flap, but again, I don't, I don't remember where in the movie it happens. I've never, I've never paid attention to it. I don't know if it's, you know, after Vader tells him the, uh, your sister, like that whole part, um, when Luke is kind of hiding in the shadows, if it's open, cause I don't know if we can see it, but I know it, it is open when, after when Luke pulls Anakin out and you know and and he's telling him tell your sister you were right I know it's open in that scene but I don't I I never paid attention to when exactly it did open yeah and you know it's funny like that was a really good George Lucas imitation by the way I it's one that I can't that's actually that, that was a world premiere I've never done a George Lucas anywhere so thank you Awesome. The, the imitations come out like the podcast kind of brings it out of you. I've, I've done some pr- pretty good ones and some pretty bad ones in the past, too. It, but they'll come out. They'll come out. Um, but he's he's notorious not only for like having brilliance and actual like layers of meaning behind, say, things like colors or, or words and, and uh, symbolism and stuff like that. But he's also notorious for just saying something and say, that's just the way that it is for the sake mm. of creativity. Um, mm-hmm. or, or th- this means nothing. <laughs> so right, I don't know, right. it could really be a 50, 50, uh, coin toss on that one. But yeah, more, more to, uh, ponder more things to keep us awake at night as we try to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So thank, thanks, uh, Scotty for sending me that question, but, uh, next time send it in an email, not in a text. Definitely appreciate that. Scotty. I hope to hear from you again. So we've actually got some more commonly chatter. Uh, this is actually from a few weeks ago. You know, we took some time off of the podcast for a few weeks um, and in preparation for today. But this email has or sorry, this voicemail has been sitting here waiting to be answered and listened to. And this is from our buddy and yours, Jeff Kelts, the Metal Mando. Heavy Metal. Yeah. 
coming in with a hammer. Jeff. Pete, my dude, happy Star Wars day to you. Let me tell you, I'm so excited I can say that to you, and you can actually say that back to everyone else once again. Because, hey, Jam Transmissions is back. So, well, let's, let's go back a little bit. So, on May the 4th, you know, I'm having a good Star Wars day, uh, you know, taking all the news, you know, just kind of chatting with everybody about, you know, what we love about Star Wars. But, you know, later on in the early evening on my Twitter feed, I see that what my favorite Star Wars podcast just back in action. Wow. So my, you know, pretty good Star Wars day was officially a happy Star Wars day after I heard that news. So, man, just, AP, man, so glad you're back doing this, doing what you love to do, man. And just can't wait to hear what you uh, put out there every week or so. But I'm going to come at you, man, really hard and heavy here with some uh, theory and speculation about The Mandalorian Season 2. So, just a little rewatch um, of this season, and something can really kind of, like, I actually noticed it before, but it really, like, kind of set in, like, where the client has some wording about the bounty, because uh, he couldn't give the Mandalorian a puck, because that would, you know, the puck, like, actually shows the bounty's face and everything, he could only give them a fob with a chain code of their age, and he says, their age. And the Mandalorian says, that's all you can give me? And the client says, yes, they're 50 years old. So I'm, what that means to me is, that sounds like not singular, but plural. So my crazy theory and speculation that I'm going to lay on you right now is that, that I think there are twin baby Yodas. Okay, so hear me out. I know this sounds, you know, out there. But what if Ahsoka Tano actually is in possession of the other Baby Yoda? When I'm talking about Baby Yodas, I'm talking about male and female. You know, like the Luke and, you know, Leia kind of thing. You know, the whole Star Wars vibe going on. I mean, what could be more perfect than that, right? And maybe if she kind of like... Well, well, bring it back where... A little bit where IG-11 and Amanda were kind of a little confused how they had the same uh, kind of bounty, right? Where they're at the same spot at the same time. I think there was actually two bounties. So I think maybe Ahsoka maybe kind of swooped in right before that moment, which you didn't see. But we will see in the next season where she actually has possession of that other baby Yoda. And so they actually maybe reunite in the next season, and we like just a fantastic moment, but maybe get separated, you know, in like, you know, some tragic moment, and uh, you know, because that's you know kind of things go right in Star Wars. But uh, I mean, what do you think, man, about this whole theory? Uh, am I crazy? Just that wording by the client just makes me think there's something more going on here, man. Especially with Ahsoka Tano coming back. So let me know, Pete. What do you think? And uh, until next time, when I give you my wild and crazy uh, theories, 
This is Jeff Kelt, a.k.a. The Metal Mando on Twitter. And rock on, bro. Until next time. Later. Man, thanks a lot, Jeff. He always comes in with uh, some really neat ideas. In fact, you really got to watch out for Jeff, Rick. I'm telling you, man, because like... He kind of predicts the future better than the Simpsons sometimes. Like, and it was like, I don't know if you remember that time that he straight up predicted that Palpatine was going to be uh, in, in, in like the next movie again. And, and me, Josh, and uh, Johnny was on the show too, Johnny Orm of, of My Star Wars Life mm-hmm. Day. And we we're all just like, nah, nah. And I straight up said, I don't want to see that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he straight up called me out the next week and he said, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, replay this this uh i want you to read my email again <laughs> read my email again fools <laughs> so i don't know what do you think about the things that he's saying here do you think there's a possibility of of there being twin baby yodas well first of all jeff you kind of you kind of melted my brain there man because i didn't i don't remember that from that conversation with the client um, I haven't done a rewatch of the Mandalorian, um, since it aired, you know, we were watching, I watched them maybe two or three times when they aired like that week, but I haven't done a rewatch. So yeah, thanks for breaking my fragile brain on this, the, on my very first episode of jam transmissions. <laughs> um, but no, I, I don't know if I want there to be another, you know, like literally a twin. I, I I don't want that. I I want to move away from that in Star Wars. But the possibility of there being a second of this species is intriguing because then that would lend a little bit of credence and even more speculation to what the armorer told uh, Din Djarin, uh about returning him to his people, returning the child to his people. So throwing Ahsoka into the mix at this point is all speculative. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a really heavy rumor. I mean, it all, it seems all but confirmed at this point. Um, but still, I still want to kind of treat that, that it's, it, it, it's a rumor more than anything else. Um, so if she's involved, if she has another child, could there be a reunion of these two children? Yeah. I mean, it would make sense. My thinking for Ahsoka coming into the second season would be more of a handoff of the child, but I don't know what that means for the story of the Mandalorian going forward. Um, if that's like the end of season two, Din Djarin hands the child to Ahsoka, knowing that she's force sensitive because of events during season two, she fights with a lightsaber, whatever. Um, and she takes the child with her, uh, knowing where it's, species are um or just to train them i I mean who knows you know i i don't there's there's a lot to consider with this show because i mean how long can the mando child relationship carry the show where the child himself does not just become like a piece of luggage because there's not a lot he can do on his own i mean he's still a child um he's not fully independent so do we get four seasons of the mando with the child. I mean, it would be great because baby Yoda is adorable and who, who doesn't want to, you know, feast their eyes on that every time he's on the screen and whatever new abilities he's going to be gaining. Like when he fought that fire in the last episodes of uh, season one with the incinerator trooper, I was like, Oh my God. And it was the way it was shot. It was so beautifully done. 
Um, yeah, I don't know about there being a second one though. I'd be out. Listen, I'm going to be on board with whatever they give us because I think the story so far has been cool. They've earned my trust. Um, but I don't. I. I don't know. It's a. It's an interesting theory. What do you think? I think it's a really cool theory. Now, here's the thing. What I think is really cool about this is the connections that he made, and he found the ambiguous words in it. And he he says their age, and like straight up, he does their age. At that point, that could also just mean, is it, you know, what is the gender of it? That was, that was what it was. The first time we were watching this, not only were we just being blown away by all this new music, new imagery and stuff, it's a good way to kind of slip something in like that. What's interesting to me though, is the ambiguity also in the fact that IG-11 had the same bounty, but different instruction. Yeah. Wanted dead or alive. Or and then this one was for wanted dead very specifically. So it could be a completely different bounty that another child could have been in there, maybe in some other little capsule that we didn't know about. Um, who knows? Like who knows how good that technology is? Who knows that uh, when they left, they just didn't look at their tracking fob and and somebody else, or it could be anywhere else. The thing is, it's still unclear at this point. Like the way that it's worded means that they could fit that in and it doesn't break the canon at all. And that's what's, that's what's fascinating. From a certain point of view. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as like the stuff you said about Ahsoka, um, I agree. Like that's all still speculation here. Um, I would be surprised honestly to see live action Ahsoka. I mean, it's a beloved character and you got Dave Filoni dipping his toes into live action now. So, I mean, like it's, it's bound to happen eventually, but I don't know how, Look, I don't make the stuff either, but I, I still don't see how Ahsoka could fit into the Mando storyline. But you know what? Who knows? Anything could happen at this point. But yeah, rumors are rumors as far as I'm concerned still. So like, it's hard for me to speculate on that one. Like, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, it would be really, really cool. Um, and if we did get a twin, um, it would be a nice little connection, of course, to uh, Luke and Leia. I mean, it's there, but you know, whether, whether it's overused or not overplayed, I don't know. I don't think it is. I mean, you've only got the one instance of it, right? Are there any, are any other twins that I'm missing? Well, you have to consider all of the EU stuff too. You know, that's, that's kind of where my head went. I mean, there were twins. Oh, like J- Jason and Jaina? Jaina. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is it overused? Maybe not. Maybe, you know, a lot of people don't know that stuff, but I don't know if that's something that I want to see is a second one, but you know, but it does, it does when you, when you get into the specifics of how these tracking fobs work, these pucks, we don't know how they work. If they work on like, like a DNA sequencing, again, we don't, we don't know. We don't even know if DNA is a thing in star Wars, but however it works. And there is a twin who is technically a genetic match it would be really easy for them to have got mixed up and maybe one was supposed to die and maybe only one was supposed to live to be brought back, to be uh, experimented on, you know, cause that's what it looked like. Dr. Pershing, I think it was Dr. Pershing. I think that's mm-hmm. what he was doing, whether he was trying to extract midichlorians or pluck a hair sample, you know, take a stool sample, whatever he was doing with that thing. <laughs> um, you know, something was, was involved there. Maybe they thought two of them were dangerous and one was, they had a purpose for, I mean, who knows? Yeah. You know, it also just made me think maybe that's also why 
uh, the client didn't care if if this baby Yoda that we do know was li- alive or dead because he knows that there's another one out there. Right. Interesting. Right. Jeff, you son of a <laughs> You got to watch out for him. Like I said, like, and, and that was no. the thing. Like if you said, I don't know if I feel like I want this, that's usually when Star Wars sits there and get in Jeff Kelts team up for, for the elbow drop from, from the top ropes, man. Like, and he just gets you. And then he says, why don't you just listen to my voicemail again, fool? <laughs> Dropping the Mando's elbow on people. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our next bit of comlink chatter. This is from our buddy, Anthony, the rural farm boy. How do rural farm boy? I'll do my Jan transmissions crew. It's RFB. How do Peter and Rick? <gasps> he said it. Rick. He said it again. Rick. <laughs> yeah, I've been saying for a spell. I need to get me some more Rick Villanueva in my Star Wars podcast playlist. <laughs> Aside from hearing him every now and again on my Tumbling Saber Patreon, or every once in a while with them Drunken Menace fellers, well, Rick just become a regular in my weekly playlist. And see what all kind of new, this is going to be interesting, see what kind of new and, new and interesting different things Jam Transmission Crew is going to be putting together and Share them with us. And next episode will be coming up in my playlist, and we'll see what what all yins are going to have coming at us. So until then, my friends, I'll see you in the Twitterverse. May the Force be with you. See you on the radio. May the Force be with you too, Anthony. Anthony, the real farm boy, my brother. What a good, what a good lad that he is. I love it. I love that guy so much. He's, he's the epitome of fandom. And to that, Mr. Anthony, real farm boy, I say to you, it's Miller time. <laughs> he did the thing. <laughs> he did the thing. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And thanks so much, Anthony. We, like he's been a supporter since the very beginning and he was our very first voicemail long time ago, long, long time. And yeah, like he's just such a great supporter for all podcasts in general, man. Like I don't know how he does it, like how he listens to all of them. It's amazing, and and he supports all of them. And he's just kind of, I would call him the fulcrum of the community. You know, he kind of is. You know, I mean, a lot of us have found different shows because of him. And I know if fans like him um, are. I don't want to say this and and just, and totally minimize it to a thing, but like fans like him are such a valuable resource for spreading the positivity of our fandom. And it is so appreciated. Um, is I know I was doing the same thing when I wasn't on any shows, I was always tweeting out shows that I was listening to, 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 to build those communities for, for each show. And a lot of great conversations and friendships have come out of it. I haven't done a lot of that lately. Um, and I kind of want to get back into it, but yeah, like you said, the time, Anthony, my man, how do you find the time to listen to 438 podcasts every day? How do you do that, man? I get through seven hours and that seems like a lot because I listen while I'm at work. I'm lucky that I get to listen while I'm at work. So I've got a ton of shows on my playlist, but my man, you are listening to shows 
like, do you just like, do they just play while you're sleeping? Like, what do you do? <laughs> Anthony, what, what's going on, man? What's your secret? I need to know. I need to know. Yeah, he is the man. And Anthony, we love hearing from you all the time, man. And we're definitely going to be putting out some really fun stuff. Rick and I have been talking, but we want to know. Oh, what I you cannot want. wait. I'm sorry. I got to cut you off. I cannot wait. RFB, you and everybody else. So a few of the things that we have planned over the next few weeks, just in the short term, the stuff we got coming up, it's going to be so good. I cannot wait to get this stuff out. Yeah, man. Just keep an eye on that Twitterverse. We're definitely going to be putting out the call for more Comlink chatter. And there are some things that you're definitely going to want to chime in on for sure, buddy. So we're looking forward to that. Keep your eyes peeled at JT Comlink. Well, that's about it for Comlink chatter this week, man. But we still got a lot to talk about because it's just been a crazy news dump. As soon as we recorded that uh, the episode, just uh, the celebration last Sunday, it started the very next morning. Just like things just popping up. And I was like, oh, shit, man, like <laughs> how much more are we going to be able to talk about next week? So what do you want to start with, man? You want to start talking about some of the, the book information that we got? Because we got a lot of that. Um, you know what? Actually, I don't want to hit that yet because there's a lot of it. I want to start with what's not necessarily good news. Um, and this, um, we got the news this week that Celebration 2020 was is being canceled and rescheduled for 2022. So, um, Pete, you and I were both at Celebration last year. Uh, we did not cross paths, um, but we did get to experience it. And for anybody who has not gone to a Celebration, do yourself the favor and try to go at least once. Um, and we all know the world is is super crazy right now. So this year was basically a wash for all of the conventions. Um, but if you can gather the resources, find the time, you know, plan a, plan to travel, whatever you need to do to get to a celebration, I cannot recommend a better experience as a Star Wars fan to be surrounded by other Star Wars fans. So it sucks it's not happening this year. It's probably for the best that it's not happening this year. Um, so 2022, I think again, August 2022, I don't know if they've set firm dates yet. Um, and for people that bought tickets, if you plan to carry them over for the rescheduled celebration, guess what? You don't have to do anything. They'll just roll over. Um, if you do need to cancel, you can get a refund. There are things that you uh, can do for that. I'm sure it's going to be more of a hassle to deal with uh, hotel rooms and airfare. And that kind of sucks because it would be ideal um, if Star Wars had put this news out or Read Pop had put this news out earlier um, so that people can get all of that stuff taken care of. But at least we know. So, But the bright side is Celebration will be back in 2022. And next year in 2021, we will have D23 kind of in its place. Um, so we'll get whatever little bits of Star Wars news through that. So, and I'm sure they're going to be throwing little nuggets of information at us like they've been for the last, you know, 10 days. So that's the only downer news that we have. So Pete, the first bit of news that we got, I believe it was two Fridays ago as we're recording was all the teaser information for, from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back edition which is coming out November 10th, I believe this yep. year. That's right. So they put out they put out the call saying that like, "Hey guys, y'all knew we were doing this, so here's the official announcement. We got um a first look at the cover as Yoda and Dagobah with the X-wing in the swamp. Um and there was a hashtag. It was a really awful hashtag. It was so it was hard to like FAC 
from a certain POV strikes back, I think is what it was. It was terrible. And a lot of the authors announced that they were going to be writing. And I think within the first 24 hours or so, I think 34 of the authors had been, had announced that they were going to be involved in one way or another. The list is great. There's some familiar names, uh, Delilah Dawson, um, Michael Morrissey, who's writing some of the comic books, uh, Kevin Scott, Alexander Freed. Um, these are already pretty well-established writers. Now we have a whole slew of new authors that are going to be coming in um, that they announced on Monday morning. So it's going to be great to have a whole new slew of new voices from different backgrounds, uh, uh, putting Star Wars into their own perspective. And I'm excited for this book. I really enjoyed the first uh, From a Certain Point of View book. There were a couple of stories that I could maybe have done without. uh, But for the most part, I like the idea of expanding the bubble of that one story. Um, So what do you think about that, Pete? Well, I'm pretty stoked about this. And and like you were saying about like celebration being canceled, that was really some bittersweet information right now, right there. Like I'm glad that it got canceled, but, uh, be, but and it's weird to say that, but it's just mainly because I didn't, I didn't want to put myself and others at risk any more than I had to. Uh, right, but right. man, w- when it comes to this, uh, news that came up, man, I started to feel better already. And maybe that's why it's been such a heavy news week for, for the books and stuff, but you're right, man. They just vomited a huge list and vomited in, in the most eloquent way, this huge list of, of authors. <laughs> um, and there were some other really cool names on there. I don't know if you said John Jackson Miller, um, but Daniel Jose Alder, uh, the author of last shot is going to be in there as well. And a name familiar to podcast listeners and, and of Nerdist, Amy Ratcliffe's in there. That's pretty exciting to read that. Uh, Beth Revis, Kevin Scott. Um, I'm pretty stoked about this, man. And and you were asking about um, the first certain point of view book. I really enjoyed that, too. I enjoyed some of the stories more than others. I think my favorite one was actually the R5-D4 story. So The I'm, red one, yeah. Yeah, so there's going to be more, if there's going to be more stories like that, the kind of stuff that's that just fleshes out the background characters. Like in, in, you know, we've always loved the background characters so much. We've always wondered about them. We had the toys and we gave them background stories. And like that, uh, that Mando gallery talked about, it meant something to us, even though it wasn't expressed and, you know, we made the stories and kind of stuff. But, um, with empire strikes back, I'm pretty excited about this too. And, and it kind of made me think about our return of the Jedi conversation earlier. We might get some information about, like an internal monologue of why Luke was wearing black in a story like that. You know what I mean? But that's, that's we jumping. Could. We could, that's jumping years ahead. Uh, but as far as this empire strikes back one, we actually got some information from star Wars.com um, about what, maybe six, five or six of the stories. And these are all new names to me. Actually, I kind of wanted to just kind of run down the list. We'll just start with Austin Walker. He explores the unlikely partnership of bounty hunters Dengar and IG-88 as they pursue Han Solo. Like that, to me, that's exciting. That's the kind of stuff I wanted to know about. You know, you've had the Dengar figure. You you learn more about Dengar in... He was in the EU a lot, um, mm-hmm. but Clone Wars even. And, but, but there's just not a lot of canon information about him. So I'm looking forward to that. And of course, more assassin droids, that's always going to be good. Uh, were there any others that you were particularly looking forward to? Okay. So uh, of the list that they gave us on StarWars.com, the last name there, um, Seth Dickinson. Now I'm not familiar with Seth's writing, but 
it says that he's going to go into an interrogation type story. It says Seth Dickinson interrogates the costs of serving a ruthless empire aboard the bridge of a doomed Imperial starship. And there's some characters that exist outside of the movies that I kind of want to see within this time frame. Um, Ray Sloan being one of them. Um, Ray Sloan first came up in the uh, A New Dawn book, and uh, she was very prevalent in the Aftermath series afterwards. She became a Grand Admiral, and uh, she flew off into the Unknown Regions with uh, an Imperial Remnant at the end. We don't know what has happened to her since. Uh, I'd love to see a story with her finding her way, uh, coming into into the ranks, so to speak. Um, And there's also another character from the Aftermath series that I would like to see involved with the empire during this time, because there is a story built into the movie that he could be a part of. And when I saw the name interrogates, I thought of Sinjir Rathvelis from the aftermath books, who was an Imperial. I don't know if he was an ISB officer or not, but he was, he was like a torturer, like an interrogator for the empire. Now we have the scene in the empire strikes back where Han is being interrogated uh, behind closed doors and then afterwards he comes and he, and he says, they didn't even ask me any questions. But Sinjir could have been in the room when that happened, even though it says here that he was on a starship um, in this little thing, the little write-up for StarWars.com. But to get something of him during that time frame, I think would be really cool. And that might have been the catalyst for his change to defect. I don't know. I don't remember his whole backstory from Aftermath. But that would be really cool to have some of the outsider stories come in. Um, and uh, then the, there's a whole list of all of the other authors that are involved. Um, so 40 stories, 40 authors. We'll see if they give us uh, another audiobook like they did for the first book where John Hamm is reading Boba Fett. We'll see if he comes back to read Boba Fett for a second story or not, um, which would be kind of cool, even though that Boba Fett story wasn't my favorite. So um, yeah, the the list is is extensive and there's a lot of... Um, Really cool names that I that I can't wait to get more familiar with uh, before this book comes out. So I might have to expand my reading horizons just a little bit to get some some feeling from uh, some of these other authors. I can't wait though. You kind of blew my mind there with uh, the Ray Sloan and Sinjir Rathvelis stuff though, because that Seth Dickinson line it's actually it's worded very strangely. And mm-hmm. the first time I read it, I just sk- I skimmed over it and then never thought about it again. But you're absolutely right, man. Like the doomed Imperial starship and then the the use of the word interrogates, even though it's odd, interrogates the cost of, of serving a ruthless empire. That could just be a little little stick right there to just kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge about what it could be. And we all know Sinjir's background. I mean, if you've read uh, the Aftermath books and he is a beloved character, that would be so cool. That would be neat to do to connect all those books into the movies and as, as background characters, why not? I mean, their canon, why not? Their careers crossed over with that. That would be sick. Like you got my hopes up on that one. That's cool. Um, the other stuff is, is just going to be like persona, like what they talked about, the Ugnaughts and the Tauntauns personification uh, in, in like of the day, da- the Dagobah cave. Like that would be really interesting. I don't know how they're going to talk about delving into the dark heart of the Dagobah cave where Luke confronts a terrifying vision. Yeah. There's gotta be something to that. There is one other story that I want in this book. Um, it's going to be like, um, you know, the Exegorth is just living his life on this asteroid. He wakes up in the morning. He's up. He's like brushing his teeth, even though he doesn't have arms. And he's like singing a song to himself. 
And then something flies and gets caught in his throat. He's just like, and he catches this thing in his throat. And it turns out to be, you know, the Millennium Falcon. And he's like, the whole time, it's just him going like a, like a cat, you know, trying to get a, a, like a hairball out. And then they finally get out of there and he's just like, Oh, it's finally gone. That's the story I want, you know, of the furballed Exegorth story. That reminds me of uh, Alberto from Radio Rebellion uh, just yesterday on his live show. He, he was talking about who set the table for Darth Vader when Han Solo came through that door. That, that would be another yeah. good one, too. So, I mean, you know, these are great stories. And, and basically, the way that the first book was written, uh, the first from a certain point of view, I mean, they can really stretch on some stuff. Like, they can yeah, do some we, deep cuts. We even we got a, a Dianoga story in the first book. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, they they re- they went out there um, in the in the in the first book. So yeah, no, I'm super excited for this. And for anybody who doesn't know me, uh, I am I'm a, a print collector. I love the books. I you know I get varying covers for books, even if it costs me a little bit extra money. So like I get super stoked for whatever's in print. So I'm I'm very excited for this. Awesome. Well, we got some other book news as well. Um, there's some big news about Shadows Fall that's coming out two days from this recording. Is that correct? June yeah. the 23rd, yep. right? Yep. So that's going to be following up Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed. And we've actually got, I think it was this week, we got two separate uh, excerpts. One was from io9 and one was from Nerdist. Did you get to check those out at all? I tend to stay away from the excerpts. I just, I want to read them just as the book comes out. So I, I usually don't uh, look into them a little bit. I know one of them was about Will Lark. I liked Will Lark's character from Alpha Squad. I refuse to call it Alphabet Squadron. It's just a mouthful. So I just call it Alpha Squad. Um, so I really enjoyed the first book. The first half of Alpha Squad was very dense. There was a lot of information. And it was, it was, kind of a, it was a little difficult to try to keep up with what was going on there. The second half of the book... And I'm not going to lay down any spoilers for anybody that hasn't read it, but I think at this point it's no, it's not a spoiler to say this, but there's a point in the book somewhere right about in the middle where Harrison Dola pops up uh, from Rebels. From that point on in the story, it kind of just takes off. And the last half of the book uh, was fantastic. The way Alexander Freed wrote um, space battles and stuff like that, I, I, I thought was was really concise. It was really easy to follow. Even, you know, thinking about like where they are, you know, like he, he banked right or he banked, you know what I mean? Like it was something about the way he wrote that part of the book that was, that just kept me more enthralled than, than the first part. So Shadowfall has been high in my list uh, for expectant books for this year. So I can't wait. And it's been kind of bumming me out that I've seen a lot of people online are finding copies um, in stores uh, that they're just buying. So I don't know if they're just putting them out early, kind of not caring. Um, and I know that there are some reviews out there too. And everybody, everything that I've seen so far seems to be positive. I, I Again, I try to stay away from it a little bit just because I want to read it on my own, completely unbiased. But I'm super excited. I love the uh, the cover of this book. I think is is gorgeous. Um, I know some people don't like it, but I like it. Um, we're getting uh, Chaz. I forget Chaz's last name. Uh, she's on the cover. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm super stoked for for this book too. So two more days, two more days. 
Yeah, the the cover is absolutely beautiful, if you ask me. I'm a big fan of the color purple anyway. It's like, and it's just popping. Um, I will say, and I'm so glad that you said this about the first half of Alphabet Squadron, that it's dense. It was hard for me as well to really, I mean, it, it was just nonstop character, 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 character. And I'm not complaining on this, honestly, like I, I ended up reading it the whole thing and I thought it was a great story, but you know what, man, as far as, um, if I could have my druthers as it was, man, I, I, I don't know, like just I, all the stories have their own flavor and you can't like the, the way the stories are told all the time. And unfortunately that was probably one of the first books in the Star Wars new canon that I, that just kind of left me feeling a bit lukewarm and I am excited about this new book, but I'm not as excited as I am say to read Queen's peril, you know, and I've got, I started that a couple days ago, but you know how it is, man, like sequels end up really not only just making the previous novel or movie better, they kind of stand alone. And like, you know, you got all the meat and potatoes, and the details out of the way, like you had the appetizer in the first book. Now you can get into the meat and potatoes is what I'm trying to say. Mm. And all the introduction is out of the way. You know, these characters, now the story and the, the character development can fly. Like th- that's what I'm expecting with this book. I'm expecting, I'm going to like it a lot more than the first one going into it with positive vibes. I definitely don't want to come across as having a negative opinion about it, but that's just kind of how I felt about it. And that's just it. Yeah, you know, we got we got hit with a lot of books last year, uh, 2019, and Alpha Squad came out like right in the middle of the year. You know, when when you think about the, what did we get? Six novels last year, five or six novels. It was a blast. <laughs> yeah, there was so much, and to have a story that centered primarily on pilots, I it, for me, it set the story apart from everything else. You know, Queen Shadow had the building of character with Padme and had the, like the political backstory, what things are really like on Coruscant for, for a new politician coming in master and apprentice gave us all kinds of insight with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, uh, which I thought was great. Claudia Gray can do no wrong uh, as far as I'm concerned with, with writing books and I'm going to be forgetting books, but I know we had crash of fate. We had um, resistance reborn spark of resistance. Um, but there was a, so much coming out, last year and to for me like i said having the second half of alpha squad stand out as much as it does for again for me speaks to the power of the book it's 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 that part of it is head and shoulders above a lot of some of the other stuff i enjoyed all the books that came out last year but like i said that second half of alpha squad it just took off and i'm hoping that the second book in 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 this trilogy because there's going to be a third um carries some of that same momentum and as we know how trilogies work there's going to be a low point in this book there's got to be something that completely challenges these characters in a way that maybe makes them question where they are and again it's just we just we know inherently how trilogies tend to work so unless alexander free just completely surprises us and gives us something completely different who knows um it is going to be great to see uh, and I'm not going to get into spoilers, but there's a character from the interludes of Alpha Squad, the first book, make his way into the second book. Um, he's been teased in some imagery that I'm excited to see come back. His name is Soren, Soren Kais or Keys. I forget how we say his last name. Um, I'm not saying anything about his story, but he plays a part. I'm excited to see him again. Um, so yeah, two more days and 
we'll see how this book goes. And again, expressing my disappointment for people having the book is that I've pre-ordered it and I'm waiting for it to, I bought it from a, a smaller independent shop and I'm waiting for the book to come in. So I'm kind of like hoping it comes in soon so I don't have to wait too long. So, and that's just my own excitement for being a, a book nerd, I guess. Nice. Yeah. I'm actually probably going to be checking it out next weekend. And uh, that is to give myself time to go ahead and finish my re-listen of, of the first Alphabet Squadron. Um, I started it again this past Friday. And, um, you know, sometimes when I when I listen to a book the second time around, I don't know if you ever do this with audiobooks, but like, you know, you speed it up a little bit after you've heard mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do it with this book. There's a lot in there. Yeah, there's a lot in there. And even though I've read it before, I have to keep it at regular speed so I don't miss anything because it's it's very I'm I'm looking forward to going through it again because I am very excited about the new book. Like everything that I've read so far and I have read those excerpts. I'm pretty excited about it. And uh, yeah, Tuesday, guys, by the time this episode comes out, hopefully you've already got your copy and let us know what you think as well. We're going to be talking about that for sure, probably in the next month or so. Well, before we move away from uh, Alpha Squad and, and Shadowfall completely, and we'll get into this a little bit more in depth in a few minutes, but there are connections to these books with uh, Star Wars Squadrons, the brand new video game that was announced this week too, um, in their story yes. elements. So oh, it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. It's awesome the way that they're just connecting everything. Like, that's the thing. All these new characters were coming out, like, especially like in Aftermath, all those characters were, were there and existing in very vital times at the same time as other, uh, legacy, I guess you would call them legacy characters and interacting with them in certain ways. Like Han Solo, for instance, was interacting very heavy in the life debt after Aftermath book. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was only a matter of time before they started crossing over into new media. It's taken a few years, <laughs> but here it is. This is the time now, and, and it's starting to touch, like you said, on Squadrons, which is the next big bit of news that we got. And I'm so really looking forward to this one. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Squadrons in a minute because we're going to talk about that a lot. Um, we did get another book-related tease uh, just the other day. Uh, Charles Soule, who is at the top of the pyramid for a lot of readers, uh, myself included, gave us uh, a little bit of a tease on, uh, I think it was Friday, that he is going to, as he says, pull back the curtain a little bit on his High Republic book that is coming out in January. Now, what's interesting about the little tease that he put out is that it had a link to his aunt the Amazon page for the book. It wasn't just an image. So is he just like sneakily trying to tell us to pre-order? Are we going to get our first excerpt from, um, I, I think his, his book is called light of the Jedi. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't That's remember right. what the name of. Okay. Um, so whatever he's going to let out, I mean, it could be a, something as small as a piece of concept art, for all we know, if, 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 if we want to really temper expectations, it could be something as, as small as that, as exciting as it could be. It could be just that, or it could be an excerpt, first full chapter of the book. Who knows? It could be any number of things. Um, so we have that to, by the time this episode probably comes out, that will already be out. Um, so I hope it's good news for everybody involved. And it's something that we can all kind of sink our teeth in and, uh, get our uh, speculating juices flowing. 
I'm very excited about that tweet as well. And, and no matter what it is, whatever he puts out, I really hope it's an excerpt because I'm going to eat it up. Like it looks like I was really bummed when the High Republic got uh, moved to the beginning of next year. Like I understand why it, it makes complete sense. Like I get it, but I'm so excited about the High Republic. I just cannot fucking wait, man. Like and and what's really cool <laughs> is January the fifth. Uh, we're getting two books. If I'm not cr- uh, if I'm correct here. Yeah, we're getting a YA novel in High Republic and that mm-hmm. Light of the Jedi. The other one's by Justina Ireland, A Test of Courage. So, I mean, okay, January 5th comes here. You get these two books show up on your book on your uh, doorstep. Which one are you going to read first? Hmm. Why got to do this to me, Pete? <laughs> My first show, Pete. The, the Test of Courage, um, I've actually went ahead well no uh, the publisher's summary actually says possible store uh spoiler so i'm not even going to say nothing about it <laughs> so forget that okay yeah don't yeah so i will probably jump into the charles soul book first probably because it's going to be a little bit meatier i think his book is meant to be the kickoff for the high republic because i think his book was was announced first or i should say it was announced to release first if 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 I'm remembering my my dates correctly, I don't read. I don't think the Justina Ireland book was originally supposed to come out the same day as the Charles Soule book. Oh no, I don't think so. Yeah, his book was originally supposed to come out what would have been the week of celebration this year. So that also brings another interesting wrinkle into this thing, as we know for how conventions work and the way book releases work. There's usually a uh, a convention exclusive cover. Master and Apprentice had one last year. Queen's Shadow had one last year. Uh, from a certain point of view, had one a couple of years ago. That is a very expensive on the secondary market. Um, there's there's a few of them. I think uh, the uh, Inferno Squad had one as well. Maybe there's some kind of exclusive pre-order for that. What would have been uh, a celebration exclusive cover? That's gonna maybe that's why there was a, a sale link uh, for Amazon. I would be all over that because, again, as a book collector, um, that's that's right in my wheelhouse. I want that. Charles Soul, if you're listening, and I know you are because we are important podcasters and you'll listen to us going forward or whenever, We, I just send me a copy. I'll DM you my address. We're friends. Chucky, Chucky Soul. We're boys. <laughs> my man. <laughs> Um, no, but that could be a really cool uh, uh, thing that he says, you know, hey, there's going to be a con exclusive pre-orders are going to be available. What would have been the opening day for celebration in August? You know what I mean? Something like that, just to kind of uh, tease us a little bit. So that be that would be kind of cool. But I think uh, back to your original question, I think I would probably read Charles Soule's book first, because I, again, I think that's the kickoff book for yeah. the High Republic. I would agree with you too. Uh, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm going to read them as quick as possible because in less than a month after that, you get into the dark by Claudia Gray, another high Republic novel. Yeah. That's another one. That's uh, like I said, she can do no wrong her. She's written what three books and a short story for star Wars canon. Now she had master and apprentice bloodline and um, Leia princess of Alderaan. Yeah. Leia princess of Alderaan. Uh, oh, and Lost Stars. Lost Stars. How can we so, forget? <laughs> I know. How dare you, fake fan? Um, I admit, I, but, uh, I accepted. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, no, uh, there's that. And then she had the Master and Apprentice story in from a certain point of view. Uh, in in the first uh, from a certain point of view, so I think that's what she's written so far. If I'm forgetting anything, somebody else can call me fake fan. I'll accept it. So uh, yeah, no, that's another one. Come February next year. Oh yeah. Well, that's about it for the books. Unless you got anything else. Uh, the only other thing we have um, print wise this week, as we are recording, we've got uh, comic books are basically back. There's been some shakeup with uh, Diamond Distributors with uh, DC Comics, which Star Wars fans don't really have to worry about all that much uh, without breaking it down too much, since uh, Marvel is still distributing with Diamond. And if anybody doesn't know, Diamond is the largest comic books distributor in the country for us right now. And uh, when things started going south, they stopped all of their shipments of uh, comic books, but they're back now. Comic book shops are starting to slowly reopen. Uh, do yourself a favor, support your local comic book shop. I will shout out my own. It is called Chimera's Comics outside of Chicago. It is a fantastic store. The owner, Carmelo, is a very good friend of mine. Um, I've interviewed him uh, with Kyle, my good friend, on Tumbling Saber. And the episode that we did really broke down the process of comic book store ownership and what it's really like and what it, why comic book shops are very, very dependent on repeat customers. So I would advise anybody to, to look that up. Uh, it was a tumbling saber episode that we did a few months ago. Um, I don't want to shout them out too much because it's a different show, but, uh, the two titles that we have coming out this week are bounty hunters. Number three, uh, written by Ethan Sachs, uh, with artwork by Paolo Vianelli and star Wars, the clone wars battle tales, number two. And that is a mouthful, uh, written by Michael Morrissey. Uh, with art by Derek Charm and Megan, what did I write down here? Levins. Um, so the first Battle Tales book came out a few weeks ago. It's aimed for more younger readers. Uh, I read uh, Isaac's copy. Anybody who listens to the show knows Isaac, my son. Um, it's super fun. They're good. It, they're they're great stories. Um, and I know Michael. Again, he he's I doesn't live that far from me, so we've talked kind of behind the scenes about some things nothing sorry he's not giving me any tips or nothing but i know he was super excited to to get into the world of clone wars and that's another thing that we talked about on a past tumbling saber as well with him um and uh, bounty hunters number three by ethan Sachs. i have only read the first issue of bounty hunters and the reason being when all the shops started closing and i got my last pickup of uh print comics i decided not to read them at the time because I did not want to wait to find out what happens next. So I will probably dip into these books as they come out. Um, I also have my uh, copy of Dr. Afra number one from the rebooted series to get into. I started reading it on Comixology and had to stop because I'm used, I'm so used to print comic books that reading on Comixology was a little bit of a chore. Um, I like Comixology. I appreciate what they do, but it just, it's not, conducive to the way that i read comic books so uh what do you think about the new two new books coming out this week well i never checked out um the younger the younger stuff is that kind of like um is it idw that puts those out or is that marvel no that's idw i'm sorry i should have said that um idw puts out the uh, younger reader books um they do uh, star wars adventures um which has some really cool stories written by michael morrissey again um kevin scott 
I'm trying to remember if Kevin Scott wrote the Vader's Castle series that came out under the uh, Star Wars Adventures uh, heading. So either way, uh, if you have kids and they want to get into Star Wars or into comic books, these are highly recommended. Again, my son loves them. He's 10 years old. He's right in the demographic for these books. And uh, I tend to read them behind him. I let him read, read them first. Um, they're a lot of fun. You know, they get silly sometimes. There's some there's some kind of weird stuff in there. Jackson from the old Star Wars Marvel run from the 80s pops up a couple of times because, you know, he's a big green rabbit. And why shouldn't he be in there? I know Kevin Scott loves that character so much so that Jackson made an appearance in the second episode of Jedi Temple Challenges, which is the kids uh, like game show that's on the um, Star Wars YouTube kids uh, channel which is a lot of fun for those of you that have kids. It's not canon. If you don't have kids and you want to just watch some fun competitive shows, it's very much like the old Nickelodeon um, kind of game shows that were out like Guts and uh, uh, was it um, that was like a hidden temple show. I forget the name of it uh, that came out. Legends of the Hidden Temple. That's the one. That's the one. So it's very much like that. Um, It's really cool. You know, the game uh, Ahmed Best is hosting. He's a Jedi character named Keller and Beck. Um, he's got this whole backstory. It's him and a couple of droids. They have, you know, go help these kids go through these challenges. So that's great, but we're not really getting into that too much. But um, yeah, so Kevin Scott um, has done some of the Star Wars adventure stuff. And uh, these new books that are coming out right now, written by Michael Morrissey, centered around some Clone Wars tales. I think they're very early on in the Clone Wars, uh, chronologically. And uh, Michael himself, like a week or two ago announced that they are going to be rebooting the Star Wars Adventures line for IDW, starting with a brand new number one that he is going to be writing. So I don't have any more details other than that. So that's uh, if your kids are into comics or they, you want to get them into comics, uh, this might be the way to go. Awesome. And as far as that target uh, Vader story, like have you actually started reading them now that, you know, everything's coming out? Oh, Target Vader with the Bounty Hunters crossover kind of thing? Yeah, I made the mistake. It, yeah, Target Vader was the the the, uh, the prequel to that, if that's what we want to call it, right? And then Bounty Hunters. Yeah, t- Target Vader was a miniseries uh, that was coming out in the months ahead of the release of Bounty Hunters. And one of the characters from Bounty Hunters, uh, Balance, I don't remember his like last name, he's in both series. So, and Balance was an old EU character from the early Marvel days, uh, back in the 80s, and uh, he is now back in canon. Uh, he's been in a couple of series um, in the comic books. So, again, um, when issue three comes out, I'll probably just re- reread all three issues of uh, Bounty Hunters. But from what I remember of Target Vader, Target Vader had some cool stuff in it. Um, yeah, he was being hunted. And uh, I don't want to get too much into it because for anybody that might want to read it, uh, spoilers. So, yeah, you know, I'm one of those that I recommend anything in print um, and I'll let you make your own judgments on it. I'm not going to say like, this was great or I hated it. Don't do it. Or I loved it and read it. Um, Go find them. Support your local comic book stores. Always support. And I got to shout out my brother's shop to Comics to Games in Florence, Kentucky. Tell them that Pete Viox sent you. And then you'll still pay full price or maybe even more. (laughs) (laughs) So, man, I'm dying. We got to talk about Star Wars Squadrons, man. 
no, I think we should probably stop right now and uh, just jump back on board next week. We'll talk about it. Yeah, of course, we're going to talk about squadrons, man. Yeah, of course. Of course, we're going to talk about this week. <laughs> Episode 68, and we won't talk about <laughs> it then either. No, goodbye, everybody. This show's <laughs> over. Star Wars Squadrons. It actually, we got our first, um, the gameplay engine, or not gameplay, just the engine footage on Monday, right? Mm, right. And what did you think? What were your first thoughts when you watched that first trailer on Monday? The first game engine trailer that came out, the, like the, the, the story trailer, I thought it looked great. Again, for somebody who has not played a ton of video games, especially Star Wars video games or games that I have played. Like I never played the, the Rogue Squadron or X-Wing versus TIE Fighter games. So those are, I'm completely ignorant to those. I know hashtag fake fan. But this game to me looks really exciting. I enjoyed the flight experiences in Battlefront 2. Um, and I can only imagine how they're expanding on that experience for this game because that's all this game is is you in a cockpit uh, flying around. The story elements that they showed us, um, seeing things like the Starhawk, seeing um, Hera pop up in the background at one point. Um, there's a lot of cool things. And the fact that this story is taking place after Return of the Jedi, we don't know exactly when after Return of the Jedi, if it's after the Battle of Jakku or in between the Battles of Endor and Jakku, because um, that holds a little bit of story significance. Um, something that I mentioned earlier uh, concerning Alpha Squad, because uh, there's some connections between what's in those books and what's in what potentially could be in the game. But no, I think it looks great. Um, I'm not overly worried about like, is Wedge Antilles going to be on every mission? Like, I don't give a shit if the Wedge is going to be there. I mean, I like the guy, but I mean, fuck out of here. I'm ready for some new characters. He better be, or I want my money back. No, get damn that. It's a $40 game. It's not a $60 game. It's cheaper than everything else. I, listen, Wedge, I love you, bro. You're good people. But check it out. There are, for the X-Wing pilots that we saw in this game, there is a Trandoshan and there is a Mimbanese pilot that of the five that we saw. Okay. Now, that Trandoshan pilot, the second I saw it, I was like, hold up a second. That had better be Balgrus. Balgrus, for people who who maybe don't know, Balgrus was a Trandoshan X-Wing pilot that has popped up in a couple of different stories. And last time I checked, Balgrus is, is canon, um, where he fights, fought during the Battle of Endor. Events happen, things happen, but I'm hoping it's the same character. Um, as far as the Mimbanese uh, character, I have no idea what that's about. But the game looks cool. Um, I'm interested to see how uh, the controls work. Uh, having a, I don't, you're having like a throttle and like, because of the way it looks like it's set up, like especially in the next wing, your hands are on two different things and how they're going to have that translate to a D pad on a regular controller. I know you can get like flight controllers um, for consoles and for a PC, which is, I think is really cool because it might enhance the experience, especially considering this game is 100% supported by VR. Now, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to have a playable VR piloting game. I might have to have like one of those, um, like a feed bag for a horse just to puke in every once in a while if it's moving around too much. 
Um, but it sounds like a super killer experience to be able to turn your head and you see your wingmates on either side of you, or you see, you know, one of your engines has gotten shot and it's on fire. So, you know what I mean? Like it's going to put you so much more into that world. Um, I have a PS4. I know the game is going to be supported by uh, uh, the PlayStation VR experience. I don't have it yet, but I might get it. I might hold off uh, until the PS5 comes out. But it's really tempting knowing that this game launches on October 2nd. So as of right now, that's only a few months away. That's not very far away. Um, so, but yeah, the, the story elements of the game that we saw, I'm sorry, I got way ahead of myself. It looks, it looks very cool. I'm, I'm excited for, for this game. Yeah. Same here, man. And like everything that you said, I, I am super excited about as well, because like you said, it's a $40 game. Like, holy crap. Why is it a $40 game? First of all, but I did see that on, on steam. Um, I'm also a PC gamer as well, but I have the, the PS4. Now what interests me about that, that might get me to buy it on PC is I do actually have a joystick that I play some, you know, flight simulator games with. And that would be really interesting. But if this game, you need to figure out, is this game designed for a gamepad? You know what I mean? Like, do I need to have the four triggers, you know, for my index and middle fingers to, to, to deal with, or on my joystick, there are buttons and there are throttle and stuff like that, but there's only one stick. You know what I mean? It seems like I might be missing out something depending if I'm not playing it for what it's designed for. Now with it being designed for VR, like you were saying, this is the first time that I've ever legit thought, man, I need to get VR it's still kind of out of my price range and I don't know what I would get it for. I don't know if I would get, you know, any of the Oculus stuff or the PSVR. It's still too damn expensive, but the fact that Mm -hmm. they're making it for this game and you can actually turn your head, that is so cool, man. And it looks like the, 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 the mechanics of how they're utilizing like the G force to like kind of cut around the corner of, of a flagship or something. And you, you know, you pull back right, the throttle right. and, and drift in a way if, if real Poe Dameron. Shit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That looks really cool. That would be nauseating in VR. <laughs> like that would be really cool. I, I want to try it. And I think, I think this is going to be the game that gets me to actually go ahead and drop the cash. For VR. I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a, a, a five point harness for my couch. Hell yeah, man. I can't wait. Like this game looks amazing. And, and like we were talking about, like the first thoughts about that first trailer. I missed a bunch when I watched it. Like I was on my lunch break and it was like five minutes until it was time to be over with. So I watched it. I watched it. I was like, well, that's cool. I mean, it's a flight game. And I went back and I watched it. I completely missed Hera. <laughs> and like yeah, she was just tucked tucked away in the shadows. Yeah, and then you've got the Membanese character. That's interesting. I want to learn more about that. But it looks like this is going to be 100% just you and your cockpit, a a first-person game. The story is going to be about, um, which we got from the other trailer, is going to be about, uh, what is it, Titan Squadron and Vanguard Squadron? I Vanguard, believe it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if I'm getting everything correct, what I've kind of picked out of this is that your character is going to be 100% customizable and you are going to be going into multiplayer battles, but whoever you create, they are not going to be a canon character. That's just you. And um, that's pretty exciting. I don't know how I feel about the multiplayer stuff yet because 
here's the thing. I don't really have faith in people. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've played, if you've played much, like you talked about Battlefront and stuff, but there are some complicated missions in there that require a lot of teamwork. Mm-hmm. And, but mainly people just want to go in there for, for a kill fest and then just rack up as many kills. And then all of a sudden your team loses because, you know, you haven't followed the rules and, and captured this, captured that. And it seems like these multiplayer modes are really dependent on people actually having teamwork and having teamwork with strangers is not something that I'm very familiar with because you just never know what you're going to get. And, but some of the stuff sounds really complicated. Like you get there and and you got to go take down the, the two ships, the capital ships, and then you move on to the flagship and stuff. One's a bomber. One is a, like a wing fighter and stuff. And they, they do this. And then one of them's a support. I'm just like, how, how are you going to get people that are actually going to be buffing you? I don't know. I don't have faith in humanity. What do you think about this? Like, it's complex. It's cool. But what do you think? It's, it's going to be tough because I know with like, with Battlefront, um, depending on the mission in my head, and this is one of the reasons why I didn't do a lot of, uh, the multiplayer gaming stuff for Battlefront, because I know how I am. I'm always worried that I'm just going to die and I don't want that. So I know there's 50 people that are trying to kill me. So in my head, I always think to myself, if I don't just come out guns blazing or find somewhere to hide, it's just, it's not going to be fun. On the other hand, you got somebody who's going to come out like fucking Leroy Jenkins and just sabotage your whole shit. You know what I mean? Like they're just going to blow it up. And next thing you know, whatever strategizing that you've done is just out the window. And it seems to be an element of squadrons is that there's a little bit of strategizing involved where you start off before missions in a war room and you have to come up tactically with what you're going to do. Now, does that mean it's a button press of like, I'm the guy that does X, Y, or Z or X circle or square? Um, Or is it more of depending on how you're playing, if you're wearing a headset or if you're mic'd up, are you literally talking to the other players and saying, this is what we need to do? That's the only thing there really hasn't been a whole lot of clarity of. Because I think it would be great if it was you and four of your friends, people that you know are like, we are a Vanguard squad today. Let's go do this thing together. And you can do that. Now, we know that's not realistic for a lot of gameplay because there's going to be... Because I only have two friends. Yeah, of course. And, uh, and, and, and it's me and Isaac. So um, yeah. good luck with a, ten, with a 10-year-old A-wing pilot. Um, so... We, there's thousands of players out there. You're going to have people who don't know each other. They don't know each other's temperaments. So it's got to, there has to be some kind of a, um, like a breakdown of character that like, if you know that you're flying this ship, your thing is to do this one part of the mission. You're responsible for blowing up the turrets and you're the one who's going to quote unquote, drop the payload. You know what I mean? Like whatever, however it ends, like everybody has their part in order for the other person to do their thing. Um, it would be cool if it was more of a verbal thing where everybody's talking to each other at the same time and plans are changing. You're able to improvise in the game. I think that'd be great. I don't know if uh, game software it can handle that kind of gameplay. I, again, I'm fairly ignorant to this kind of stuff, so I think it'd be great, but I don't know uh, where I would fit in all of that. I would be I would be Dak in the back of a snowspeeder, like super excited to get killed every time I go out there. You know what I mean? Like I'd be like, oh, this is great. I could take out a whole empire. Oh, shit, I'm dead. So that'd be me. 
Yeah, I think there was a line in in the gameplay trailer that actually said before you are able to do multiplayer, you're going to have to go through missions for all eight ships. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what. So you will be learning how to be a bomber, how to be a fighter, and stuff like that. So I think that that having those bigger missions is going to have a higher difficulty level, and it's going to require people to kind of learn their roles and stuff. And that's fascinating. If you can get it to work, that's great. I just don't know how you get people to do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds very much like how Fallen Order works where within the game you you cannot just button mash your way through fallen order you have to really think about how you're going to come up on on a, like an enemy character in the game you cannot just smash your way through you're going to die and it sounds like squadrons might be taking some of that mentality of no you really need to figure your place on this squad because if you fail everybody fails right Another thing that I like that EA is doing here is they're getting rid of microtransactions. So, oh, thank God. Yeah. But you can kind of, I, did you see like the little Ewok Funko Pop bobblehead that you can have inside of? Your- yeah. I saw, I saw that thing and I was like, cool. Now there's going to be some, you know, exclusive Funko that somebody's going to want to buy. And like, yeah. <laughs> Christ. It's really cool, man. Like the customization is, is exciting for me too. It looks like you're going to be able to be just about anything. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it 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 seems really cool. Um, the the gameplay trailer that we got on uh, Thursday uh, showed some really cool elements of the game. Um, you know, having to say uh, transfer power from an engine to your shields, uh, things like that. You know, and you talked about the um, customizability of the game and the was it like sixty ship enhancements that were laid out. Um, obviously you won't be able to do all of them at the same time, but there's, man, there's a ton of stuff there that it, it's probably going to work the same way that um, like the star cards work in battlefront uh, where you can only use so many, you know, you you know, yeah. you say you get, you get five enhancements per the round or per the mission or, you know, for whatever it is, but it does sound really exciting. And the, the connection to alphabet squadron, um, to me is very intriguing. So I, um, when the game, when the story trailer launched on Monday, I don't remember who it was, somebody on Twitter. And I apologize for getting who it was. Somebody said something about, it might've even been uh, star Wars, uh, uh, Delray books about Vanguard squadron. And I was like, Oh my God, well, that sounds familiar. So I did the, uh, the Wikipedia search and I found, uh, this, this little paragraph and to me, like this could be like a little bit of a what the campaign, like the uh, the campaign element of um, squadrons could be. So let me read a little bit of this. So this is operations on Argae Minor or Argae Minor. So it says sometime after the Battle of Endor, the Galactic Empire operated from the Trainhouse Citadel on Argae Minor. The New Republic sent Vanguard Squadron to aid ground forces against the Imperials. They were later joined by the Meteor Squadron and Hail Squadron. The fighting had been brutal, so when New Republic intelligence suspected Imperial forces planetside had been receiving logistical support from elsewhere, they wanted to know if the enemy supply lines reached all the way to Pandem 9, home to Shadowwing. Now, Shadowwing was the... 
a group that was, I believe, in the first Alpha Squad book, uh, the Imperial Group. So General Harrison Dula brought in Alphabet Squadron to assist with patrols during the Citadel salvage operation due to this specialty uh, with Shadowwing. So it sounds like there can be some ties there to what we know where, where Titan uh, Titan Squadron comes in, which is the Imperial uh, Squadron, and uh, what we know on the surface of what's going to be coming up within Shadowfall. There's some story elements that are that are seemingly connected, uh, and for my part, somebody who tries to find those connections, it's exciting to be able to read the book coming out Tuesday, and then you have to only wait a few months to see what story elements are going to cross over within the campaign of the game come October. So really gets my, uh, gets me amped. I'm pumped. I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's just play right now. Yeah. It's really awesome, man. Just like all the connections that they're, they're finally pulling all the characters out of the books. Like we were talking before and you saw Ray Sloan in there, bro. Don't even get me started on Ray Sloan because she is, she very quickly became one of my favorite Canon characters for a couple of reasons. All right. First of all, her story coming up in a new dawn and finding her place within the empire. Now it's kind of cool to see these kinds of stories because we've seen Imperial stories like Krennic. We've had the Tarkin book. We've had uh, people like Cardinal after return of the Jedi uh, in the Phasma novel and in uh, Black Spire. But there's big, huge gaping holes in the Ray Sloan story. And she pops up in the gameplay trailer wearing a gray Imperial officer's uniform. She's not wearing the white uh, Grand Admiral uniform that we see in a lot of artwork uh, from around the aftermath time. So are we looking at we have to be looking at her before a promotion. Right. You know, and I mentioned this when we were talking about from a certain point of view, there's going to be, there has to be for my, this, this is a want, this is something that I want. There has to be something about her character where we see her progress up to that next level of grand admiral. You know what I mean? She, she had proven herself within the empire after the battle of Endor to get to that white uniform place. Now, the other thing that I love about Ray Sloan is that this is a woman in the empire and it is a woman of color in the empire and that representation i think is huge you know if this is a character that can be more fleshed out in upcoming stories uh what that means for inclusivity and representation i think is fantastic and i say that as a brown male as a mexican male like i want all of that give me all of that stuff so it's important for a number of reasons. A, her story, her character is fascinating, and I want to know what's what happened in the years that we don't know about, and I want to see more, for lack of a better term, dark side or like bad guy people of color, because we know that the Empire was very kind of xenophobic, and that's why we don't see anything other than... That's why Thrawn was an exception uh, within the Empire, to have not only uh, somebody just quote unquote from the outside come in, but to have like an alien race come in. He wasn't accepted. Um, and we see that in the first Thrawn, the first new Thrawn book, not in the Heir to the Empire book, but in the one that came out a few years ago. Um, so give me all the race Sloan we can get because her character is awesome and she deserves it. And I want to know more about her. 
could not agree more, buddy. Super excited about this. I'm stoked, man. I'm I'm heat. I'm pumped. I'm gonna start punching. Shit. Let's do this. <laughs> awesome, man. What? Well, we went on for a while today. I don't know as if we have anything else to talk about. Well, it's been like 15 minutes. What are you talking about? <laughs> See, time flies when you're having fun, man. And, and I'm so glad that you're finally on this podcast, buddy. Like this has been an absolute joy. And I hope you've had as much fun on your maiden voyage as I have had being alongside you, buddy. This so far has been a lot of fun and not just the recording that we've done right now, the conversation that we're having right now, but the speculation, the buildup that we've had in the last week or so, two weeks or so since we first talked about doing this. This has been something that I've wanted to do uh, with you since, since we talked about it. You know, I always enjoyed coming on, sending in voicemails um, previous, but being able to, to use my voice in a way to, uh, to uh, engage differently, you know what I mean? Like to, uh, to, uh, to have a different perspective and bring all of that stuff in is, uh, is something that I, I really want to do. Anthony Real Farm Boy talked about me recording with uh, Drunken Menace podcast. Now, this is a couple of guys in England. I've never met these dudes. They asked me to come on. Back in January, I went on this whole tirade about race and inclusivity and um, the things that were really pissing me off at the time. Now, this was in January. This is before things really started getting heated. Um, I don't want to get too deep into that. But I had some things to say then. If you're curious about it, you can go look up the episodes of, of the Drunken Menace podcast uh, from back in January. There was It was a two-parter. We recorded for three hours. And at one point, I got really pissed off about some things. I'm not going to get into it now because I don't think this is the show for it. But I just want to make it clear where I stand with some things. Star Wars is fun. Star Wars is our outlet. But Star Wars should be the thing that outside of the rest of the world can bring a lot of different people and voices and perspectives together. You know, be that they are just friends or they disagree on story elements. What's important to me within these stories um, specifically is when you have characters like Finn who bring their past experiences into the story. And I know a lot of people feel that Finn got cheated um, like he deserved more. And I'm not saying I disagree with that. Having characters like uh, Cassie and Andor, who people have joked say that I look like Diego Luna, but to have people like him who I could have been one of my cousins, you know what I mean? At least, you know, facially um, meant a lot. The first time I saw Rogue One, I want more of that. And not for my own sake, because I want other people to feel like, you know, Star Wars should be for all of us. You know, it's, it's not just archetypes in a story anymore. I didn't see that Luke was a white dude or that Han was a white dude or that Leia was a white girl in the original trilogy. They were characters. They were archetypes. And I bonded with them in a way that was outside of that. It was also because I was five years old when Return of the Jedi came out. I wasn't exposed to any of that yet. I wasn't, I didn't see myself in the world against those characters. Not yet. But then when I did, and I still love those characters because I love what they represent, I love even more so the characters that we've gotten and how they represent me, people that look like me, and more importantly, people that have felt like me in the last couple of years who maybe have started to feel like they were on the outside of some kind of inner circle for Star Wars stories and creators. So 
thank you, Pete, for first of all, for asking me to come on when you did. I think the timing was perfect. Um, I've, I've wanted to be part of this, but if I can take another minute or two and just give a, the, the biggest, biggest, biggest shout out that I can possibly give to my friends, my extended family at the Tumbling Saber, um, Kyle, Corey, Carlos, Marie, Michelle, and Nathan, um, everybody that works on that show, um, in whatever aspect that they do, um, they're all fantastic people. And they've, the, the two years or so that I've interacted with them, um, Kyle put me on my first podcast, um, in November of 2018 and our friendship has grown because of that. But if it wasn't for that show and the conversations that I've had with them, both on air and off, I don't think I would be here right now talking to you on Jam Transmissions. I don't think I would have met a lot of the same people that I've met if it wasn't for Tumbling Saber. And there's a lot of podcasts that I've listened to and a lot of friends that I've made along the way, but specifically that group of people, um, I have to shout them out. So anybody listening, and I don't want to take anything away from the show that we're on right now, go listen to Tumbling Saber. They're great people. If you have it uh, and you can spare it, check out their Patreon become a, a powerful friend. Um, you won't regret it. There's so much good content that they're putting out. And um, I'm so, so grateful to to Kyle for asking me the very first time to come on a show. And likewise, I am grateful to you, Pete, for asking me to come on this show. Um, we are friends. We've been friends for a while. And to be able to engage in Star Wars with people that you you feel you really know and not just um, hey, do you want to come do this thing? Um, makes it that much easier uh, to tell more personal stories and to let your real perspective out uh, when it comes to our relationship to a galaxy far, far away. So my hat's off to you, Pete. Thank you for asking me uh, in the first place again. Thank you to Tumbling Saber. I love all of you. Um, and again, I've, we've said this a bunch of times. I cannot wait for all of you, first-time listeners, long-time listeners of the show, for what we have, again, just coming up in the short term, we're gonna we have some great ideas. Um, one of which to pull this forward and kind of segue it a little bit. Next week, we're gonna be talking about uh, Queen's Peril. Uh, we're gonna do a little book review and uh, and get into that. So, um, Pete, I'm sorry, I, I took a little bit of time there to get all of that out. So I'll I'll throw it back to you. Oh man, this is the place for it, man. And honestly, man, I, I'm so glad that you're a part of this too. And a huge shout out to to Tumbling Saber, Saber as well. It's a great show, man. And I'm glad that you, like you said, that that was your first steps and we wouldn't be here if it weren't for them. So I'm immensely grateful for them as well. Uh, grateful for the whole community and I'm grateful for you, man. And, and all the things that you were talking about, this is definitely the place for those conversations too. And I'm so looking forward to hearing your perspective on anything that you ever have to say about this, man. So I'm honored that you said yes, truly, my friend. So super excited about that. But yes, to, to tie it right back to Queen's Peril, we're going to be talking about that next week. And we want to hear your perspective on that as well. And it's a short book, even if you, you know, just pick it up now. What What is it? Six hours on the Audible? Is that right, Rick? Yeah, it was about six, six and a half hours, Audible. And you can also pick it up on Kindle or, or the, the print book. And Kindle, it's uh, $10.99. It's, you know, it's nothing. Have a quick read. Send us in that calm link chatter, C-O-M-L-I-N-K at jamtransmissions.com. And that's 
emails and voicemails. And it's not like you got to call in a number. I know some people have said, how do I send in a voicemail? It's as simple as literally just pulling out your phone and going to voice recordings and record your voice, save it as a file, and then send it as an email attachment and get those in by Sunday. So I'll tell you what, man, Rick, how can people interact with you on social media? Uh, well, first and foremost, if you yell out your window loud enough, I'm sure I'll hear it. Um, but if you want to get more in direct contact with me, you can find me on Twitter at Cad Bain's Bounty, uh, where I am uh, talking about Star Wars most of the time. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, just Rick Villanueva. It is R-I-K. There is no C in my name. And if I see that C, I will see you later. <laughs> Don't put it there. And uh, yeah, you can find me in a number of places. I, I'm not on Instagram or anything like that, but mainly Twitter at Cad Bain's Bounty. Awesome. And you can follow the show on Twitter at JTComlink. And that's where you're going to get a lot of the calls for Comlink chatter on there and diff- different like uh, primers for conversation and, and such. Um, and me and Rick, we retweet all that stuff. Just hit us up. And again, that email address is comlink, C-O-M-L-I-N-K at jamtransmissions.com. Try and get those in before Sundays now. And, you know, this this schedule could evolve, but that's what we're working with right now. And we'll make sure to share your voice and your thoughts on the show. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher. But we can be easily found on Podbean or iTunes. Or you can simply just go to jamtransmissions.com and listen that way. That's about all I've got this week, Rick. You got anything else, my friend? Um, no, no, I don't. All right. Well, with that, we'll see you guys next week. As Anthony says, see you on the radio. And as always, may the force be with you. May that force be with you. Okay.